coming up on this episode of The Hive Life. Think about when you talk to real estate agents about staging a house. When a buyer looks at a business, they're, they're basically trying to ask, answer three questions. Can I see myself going to work there, right? What am I bringing to the table? Can I improve it, right? Top line, bottom line, combination of both, ideally. And does it make financial sense? So the first two are all about curb appeal. You walk into it and, yes, I can see myself going to work. It's neat, it's clean, it's organized. But that next level, by when you're selling a business, you have to remember, you've got to leave something for the next level, for the next buyer, so they can take it. If you maximize everything, and I tell buyers all the time, the first thing you normally do is that you find out what's wrong. Well, I don't like this. I'm like, well, good. If it was perfect, don't buy it. Because what, what are you bringing to the table? You're just going to screw it up. Don't buy the perfect business. Welcome to The Hive Life, where we pull back the curtain on Spherical Media, a company based in Charlotte, North Carolina, with a team of former journalists that create beautiful, impactful stories that connect with your audience. Welcome inside our podcast studio in the south end of Charlotte. This is The Hive Life, and I'm Jared Latch alongside Tim Bear. Our guest on this episode is Jay Offerdahl, an entrepreneur and business owner in a competitive space that is running fast at the moment. He's the founder and a partner at Viking Mergers and Acquisitions and a friend of ours. Jay, we're excited to have you in the building to chat through some things. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jared, Tim. Always good to get together and, and talk shop, right? <laughs> exactly. A- absolutely. So let's start with your background. Yes. Uh, I'd love for you to give listeners the, the Cliff Note version or, or more elaborate. You could do whatever you want on how you landed in business ownership with your dad after coming out of App State. Yeah, my dad's version is always better, and I like sharing that. My, my dad shares with everybody that I was graduated from college. I couldn't get a job, and so my mommy uh, made him start a business with me. So that's that's the good way. Is, is he was a serial <laughs> entrepreneur, bought, grew, sold three businesses, knew there was a need for a what I would, his definition of a more professional firm for the lower middle market. There's great representation when you've got a hundred million dollar company, but there's only a handful of hundred million dollar companies in the in the Carolinas. Well, maybe not a handful, but there's not a lot. Um, and the, the 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 what we kind of define is the mom and pop, which isn't always you know. I guess politically correct to say, but that's the reality. There's a lot of husband and wife teams or partners like you two that come together and try to build something. And they normally start from scratch. And seven to 10 years later, they don't know what to do. And they haven't hit that, you know, even that 20, 30, 40, $50 million mark. They've got a couple million dollar business. Maybe they've hit eight figures and they need some professional representation to help them not only figure out where they are, but what's next, how they do this. I know we joked at dinner. I was going to say, your dad owned Fast signs, right? And That's you were correct. in school, but it got sold, so you, you didn't know what was going to happen. Right. I, th- I thought, you know, like, I think a lot of a lot of you know kids. I call myself a kid. When I was in college, looking at their parents are in business for themselves. They're like, well, yeah, I'm just going to go in the family business. And and I, I deal with a lot of family businesses. And, and the and the biggest joke I kind of tell people is the thought of taking your business and handing it to your kids is similar to giving the keys to a sports car when they turn 16. It just doesn't always work out well. And statistically, it's, it's like a 25% decline in success rate when it does go from the first generation to second. And the bigger joke is the first generation accumulates it. The second generation starts <laughs> playing with it a little bit. Third generation loses it. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Blows it. Yeah, that's probably a better word. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so give us a little background on the name Viking Mergers. Where did the name come from? Yeah, my dad grew up in Minnesota, and his, and his first business um, was actually in, in the weight loss industry. He had four locations in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and um, the name of the business was PWLC for Physicians Weight Loss Centers. And his uh, accountant said, well, it doesn't have to be that. You can have your corporation anything. He's like, what, what's your favorite team? My dad's like, Vikings. And ironically, Offerdahl's from Norway. And, you know, I always tell people, God doesn't have a sense of humor. Just when you start thinking about things like that, fast forward that was back in the 80s, and he used that same entity 
to form, you know, to do the DBAs of all four businesses. And so when we started with Viking, it was actually Viking Associates Inc. And we switched it over DBA Viking Merchant Acquisition. So yeah, it started back, you know, when I was 10 years old in 84 when he first started his first business and, and now that same entities own multiple businesses. Talk a little bit about your role as the business owner and how the, the business has evolved. What does your day-to-day look like? It's been, you know, it's been fun. It's a huge challenge. I think a lot of business owners, when they learn about, go to seminars or hear experts talk, all the experts talk about, you know, building this this team so that the business can run without you. And the reality of that happened is just is so rare. So when I bought my dad out in 19, or 2015, it was my first opportunity. So we started in 96. So we're talking you know, 18, 19 years before I bought him out. And that's when I tried to make the shift from working in the business to on the business. And that was a huge challenge because coming right out of Appalachia State, I didn't run a division for a bank or a business or whatever. So everything that is a new kind of high, whether it's a new office, whether it's a new milestone in sales or whatever new hire, it's uncharted territory for me. So it was a huge challenge that I still feel like I'm, you know, working on, learning how to work on a business. I've been very fortunate and blessed to be able to surround myself with very talented people. So I've got some minority partners now that are taking on more responsibility. And what I believe that helps me do is grow past my invisible ceiling. Most business owners, somewhere around year seven through 10, either have their blinders on, they're somewhat content, or they hit a, a ceiling where they just can't go past it by themselves. And that's normally why most small businesses change hands every decade or so on average. I mean, you know, restaurants are a little bit quicker, manufacturers probably more like 18 to 22 years, but on average, most small businesses change hands every 10 years. And I think it's because people get burned out. They just don't want to take that next step forward in location, in equipment, in humans, in lease space, mm-hmm. like you guys have done, right? This is a yeah, big undertaking mm-hmm. when you made that huge leap right. in the current space you're in. Right. And a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm gonna let someone else do that. And for me, you know, I did it with my dad. I was like, okay, I want to create my own vision. And that was part of my vision. So we had one office in 2015, and I was like, I'm going to grow this business, 10 offices, 10 years, and, you know, and we're six years into it, and we're a little bit ahead of schedule. We should be open our, <laughs> we should be open our, our ninth office at the end of the quarter. So. There's definitely some days I'd like somebody to take the lease payment. They can, <laughs> exactly. they can take care of it. Exactly. I mean, we could totally relate to that, though, because I think if we come from TV. We were in, you know, sports journalism, that whole thing. So when – as we've grown the business, same thing. It's new every time. And so you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I negotiate this? How do I get past X bump or whatever it is? And, you know, obviously everybody is telling you, work on the business, not in the business. And it is a hard thing to do. I tell everyone, it took me literally 18 years before I even started working on the business. I was number one, two, three in sales almost every single year up until it. So remove myself and think, okay, are we going to lose this commission that I normally generate? Or... I would be able to, you know, kind of spread that out over the other advisors and then help. And, you know, we've had some lumps, like like nothing's ever just a nice, you know, 15% growth rate, right? You guys hit the, the fast 51 year and sometimes, you, I mean, right. we, we all go through it, right? Yeah. And sometimes like, oh, everything's humming. And, and, and <laughs> you guys, if you're like me, you, you know, you come home and you're like, all right, honey, we're going to go on a nice vacation. We're going to get a new car. And then like a week later, you come, yeah, come forget home and like, that. shut it down. We're going broke. You know? I mean, that was happening daily during That's COVID. Right, exactly. like, I would leave in the morning yeah, and I'm like, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Day. And then at night, I'd be like, the sky is falling. <laughs> this right. is the worst. I mean. That happened all the time. I really rode some roller coasters. That's right. Yeah. So (laughs) that's the wonderful thing. You know, the the key about being a business owner is that that empathy where you know what it's like, whether it's it's borrowing the debt to buy out my dad, whether it's signing a lease for you guys in a facility like this, whether it's, you know, whatever that next step is, 
No one knows what it's like. It looks glamorous on the outside, but it, it, and, and you know what? It's very rewarding. At the end of the day, it's very rewarding because you know you're taking care of your business family. They're really important to you. You're hopefully creating some equity, which is for us, you know, it's part of our retirement because when you're in corporate America, you get the pension and the 401k matching sure. all that stuff. Like for us, like everything's matching it's their own money. So that that's part of the challenge and the fun. And no one understands that like a fellow business owner. And that's what why a lot of our advisors, I think over 20 of our advisors, are prior business owners. So when they're sitting down talking to people looking to buy or sell, there's this 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 common empathy that hey, I, I know what it's like to be in your shoes. Like I truly do. I'm not just saying that. Like that, that's sympathy. Oh, sorry about the struggle <laughs> yeah, right. you have with your payroll or, sure. or taking down that rent or going second quarter with COVID. We didn't sell a business. Like oh, sorry about that. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that's like. But empathy is like. I was. I know it's like your shoes. shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And I, it actually brings up something. I mean, um, we're we're both in EO. Uh, that's right. We're all part of the EO ecosystem. Talk a little bit about entrepreneurs organization and how that's sort of been a good spot for you. I mean, I know you were president of the Charlotte chapter at one point. You've obviously been in there for a number of years. How has that been changed? I would say without EO, I would not have ever thought about one buying my dad out or expanding the operation. And before I joined EO, my mentality was one day I'll share, sell my 50% ownership of Viking when my dad decides, decides he's ready to retire. And I'll just be an advisor, not just, I'll be an advisor for the new owner. Um, EO kind of having that board of directors, I call it, you know, we call it forum, but for me, I call it, it's my board of directors. I can go there and share what's going on, the challenges I have, and being around other like-kind of people that are also facing some of the same challenges of growth or partners and whatnot kind of really empowered me to make that leap and have the confidence. Of course, without my wife's support, I wouldn't have done it either. Sure. That's a, that's second thing I tell all business owners before they buy a business, like, bring your, if it's a, whatever, whether it's a man or a female, bring your spouse. They know you better than know yourself. If they support you, at least for me, I'll talk as an insecure male, I feel like I can conquer the world. When my wife smacks me on the fanny and says, go get him tiger in the morning, and she gives me a hug when I get home and says, Thanks for all you do, right? Those things are, are, it sounds kind of trivial, and I feel comfortable and transparent talking Mm -hmm. to fellow business owners that know what what it's like, Um, but that was a huge part along, obviously, with EO. No, that's incredibly important. I've I've told people often that my wife, even though a lot of the things she doesn't understand, she's never not supported me, and you need that in your corner, or or you just can't, can't push forward. And going back to the business transaction, buying out your dad, how did that come up was it something that was talked about both ways is something you brought to him how did that happen yeah he was very um clear that his exit strategy was me and so you know we, we help business owners with with exit strategies business valuations you know confidentially going to market all those things and i'm very proud to say every piece of advice that i've given to buyers and sellers i took and did myself meaning if you're below a 10 million dollar and you're uh, purchase price and, and you're the buyer you need to explore the SBA back loan. You just can't beat 10-year amortization, low interest rates, low down payments, <clears throat> recapitalizing the balance sheet. I did that when I did what's called a stock redemption, do the SBA back loan um, when I bought my dad out. And and those are, are, are things that, um, you know, seeing six, 700 transactions now, you pick up a little bit every single time that you get to share with business owners. This is what I did. This is my story. Take with what you want from it. Learn from it. Here's the things I did wrong. Here's the things I did right. And, you know, we had to close an office down once. Like, people don't like to talk about their failures. But right. going back to the, we just didn't grow at 15 or 20% every year for 25 years. Like, you know, it was, it was a roller coaster up mm-hmm. and down and opened this office. It didn't get the traction. We closed it down. Say, okay, let's go back in on, on this other side. I mean, those were all 
wonderful, it's challenging, and it's fun. It's part of being an entrepreneur. You got to be able to take those times and get back up, right, and go yeah. back and fight the next day. And I think you know that that humility that you bring to it actually adds so much to your partnerships with the people that you're working with, everything like that. You know, when we sat down at dinner a couple weeks ago. And you said, you know, I'm just a dumb kid from App State. <laughs> and, you know, and I, I, I got the feeling that you've used that line probably that before. I'm App State, Greg, uh, yes. I, I'm but, so proud of Appalachian State. I got to do it to say that. But no, it, 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 it always, because when I went, I could, what, the key is I couldn't get in now. Yeah, that's, right. That's no, what, I know. Back they're, they're then, it was awesome a little bit things. easier. Now I couldn't get in. So I'm very proud of the fact <laughs> that I went to App State 92 to 96, got my finance degree. And, but, yes, the, I mean, our business, it, it, it's so rewarding, uh, not just because of, of uh, you know, that we, you know, do well, but solidifying someone's retirement, helping someone take, turn equity into cash, it is, but it's very challenging because there's no recurring revenue, right? So the humility comes with, we're only as good as our last deal and we're not guaranteed the next. Yep. And so we know that we wake up every morning and people always, you know, they use, it's cliche to say it and they say, you, what you kill. It's true though. When you, if you haven't been in that position to really know that, okay, second quarter of 2020, we sold zero businesses, still have overhead. Still have, you know, eight offices. We still have personnel. We still have, you know, still marketing. You're still doing all the things you're doing, but you have zero coming in, and, and, and that's tough. Yeah, that's really tough. But I, yes, it keeps us very humble. Yeah. No, I always remember my wife every year, January first, we'd get up and I'd be like, "It's a clean slate. It, we're at zero now again." You know, we had this awesome year. It was like high fives at yeah. Christmas. You yeah. know, all this kind of stuff. And then January one, it's like, "All right, here we go again." That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're always looking. We we must keep learning. I, I think that goes along with relevancy. For business owners yeah. i mean keep learning or become irrelevant right. one, one of right. the many things that could make us irrelevant yeah. if you look at it but through COVID, i know that you learned a lot yes. from a business perspective yeah. what were some of those key takeaways so great question and i, and I would say it was more for um, the buyers that learned a tremendous amount because a lot of things kind of happened simultaneously uh, there was some great stimulus that was offered that kind of enticed people that may have been sitting on the sidelines uh, to kind of make that leap into entrepreneurship there's, there's still, there was and there still is a tremendous amount of liquidity. So interest rates are low. Banks are, are lending. They're, they're fighting over loans. I mean, there's just a, it's a wonderful time for buyers. And simultaneously, the businesses that weren't impacted as heavily, and we don't do a lot with, with restaurants and, and retail and hospitality, which those ones just got crushed. Our clients, service, manufacturing, distribution, and technology, they didn't get impacted as much. So it was an awesome opportunity for, and you guys heard me say this before, Due diligence is the opportunity to assess risk. Now, a lot of times in the past, before, when you're trying to talk about, okay, what was the worst? They'd go back and say, well, okay, what happened during the recession? But, man, that, that's six, seven, eight, nine, ten years ago. Like that, That's irrelevant to today's standards. This second quarter was a snapshot of worst-case scenario. Mm-hmm. So a lot of buyers got to look at that and say, oh, they only dropped 10%. And so that now that, that assessment of risk was like, wow, this is a business that's pretty resilient. And so it really armed the buyers with the confidence that they could go in and, and figure out that this business is transferable from the previous owner to themselves or their, you know, their team, whoever's buying it. And that really made it um, an attractive uh, business. So it's been a seller's market since, since July 1st of 2020. And we have not slowed down and I kind of knock on wood. And, and, and I hope we don't. The reality is, is there's always a, a pause, right? You know, capital gains tax goes up a little bit next year. Hopefully it doesn't go to 39.6. Hopefully it's only like 25 or 28. But if that happens, there'll be a little bit of a pause. If you're a business owner and you're thinking about selling in 2022, 
and you just had, in, you know, no matter what the price of business is, and, th and that capital gain is really only up to the million dollars. Most of our deals, though, are north of a million below 50. So it impacts all of our clients if it goes up. Yeah. You may pause one more year. It's an election year. Let's see what happens. They're not going to go back down. I mean, the, the 20% long-term capital gains tax we had is probably something we, we may not see again. But we need to have a good year this year so we can store up a little bit and know that if we have a little bit of a correction next year and maybe the, the, the buyers and sellers pause for 12 months, that we'll, we'll be okay for year 26 and 27. You sort of mentioned it earlier, but what, what are some of the reasons that people look to sell? Because everybody assumes it's retirement, I'm done, I'm, I'm cashing out. Like, what are some of those reasons that make things move? It, it really is. I mean, burnout is still probably number one. And, and if I'm going to kind of quote, unquote, time the market for me to sell, what I analyze is there's 10,000 people a day turning 70. That continues through 2034. My best guess is those boomers own about half, roughly half to 60% to of, of what I would define as the real businesses in the United States. Now, real it doesn't mean if, if you're a single, shingle real estate agent, it doesn't mean you have a real business. It means you don't have 10, 20, 30, 40, 60, whatever employees. You're not doing a million dollars a year in, in sales. So that, that one to 50 million, there's probably six million in the United States. Our best guess is about half of those, if not 60%, are owned by the baby boomers. So as soon as the, the, the number of sellers are selling to retire becomes that 50%, I look at it as we got about a 10-year runway before things in our industry may slow down. Um, but we've never had more sellers than buyers, so it could be a really good run if these baby boomers decide to take some chips off the table and, and, and retire. But they're living longer. They're staying in their houses longer. They have a higher quality life. They like to wake up and have a purpose, right? The thought of every day being a Saturday for a lot of these boomers who the business may define them as a human being, mm -hmm. that scares them. And there's really, I've talked to many business owners that I'm just going to work until I die at my desk. Right. And of course, you know, for me, say, forget about selling your business through Viking. Think about your generational obligations to your family. Is that right to just let the business go on the ground to zero? So I really do a, a big, when I talk to accountants and bankers and financial advisors and attorneys and, and you know, I'm like, listen, you've got to do your part in educating your clients that are 70 and older to make sure they don't wait too long because as soon as the business sales start declining, mm -hmm. the buyer assessing risk during due diligence is going to say, where's the bottom? Yep. And not just the buyer, the bank. The bank wants to see a bottom right. and a turn, right? But if they know that the, the owners kind of slow down and business sales start declining, they may not. They may take a multi-million dollar business of equity and let it run to, to zero. Yeah. So we got to do it. I'm getting on a tangent. I apologize. For no, no that's good focus. because that's, that's what you see is that there's, there's devaluation this, happening. Right. And, the, and then how much of the business value is in that one person? Yeah. And so if they walk away, is this business worth anything still? I, they ran into my dad. Yeah. I mean, we went yeah. through that. Yeah. So, so bur burnout is still number one. Retirement is now number two. But just five, six, seven years ago, I bet you that was number three. And, and kind of outgrow your abilities is probably right behind now retirement number three. And then... You know, there's things like health and, and things like that. They're kind of the round up the four and five top reasons people look to sell. So going back to 1996, that's when you guys started over the course of the business. I mean, you've seen a lot in those 25 years. I mean, you had the the financial crisis. You had the Great Recession. Dot com, September 11. All those things. Yeah, you got a lot of stuff that's <laughs> happening in there as we go yeah. along chronologically. Yeah. What were those times like? Did those impact the business or were there other things that were almost but, at greater risk or challenge to you? But, they definitely impacted the business, and and if my my father wasn't, or if my partner wasn't my father, we wouldn't have made it through it. I mean, <clears throat> when things go, when they're tough, and you have partnerships, and you guys are partners, and you guys are great friends, but you know there's there's going to be challenges. You're not always going to agree on things, so it's really important if you do go into business. On a side note, with a friend, 
you get that buy sell agreement written up front and have the conversation when this happens not if this happens when we have a disagreement on taking on a bigger space hire another person buying new production equipment whatever you know apply to you guys industry sure who makes that final decision and it's always 50 50 if one of us doesn't doesn't like it one of us had the opportunity to buy some the other one out right put some calls things like that mm -hmm. side note on that but yeah i mean it, it 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 was one of those things where my father and i made it through because i respected him as my father and i knew that he would not let us fail and that even if we didn't do well he had the financial ability to get us through that time period and um i, I would say you know and again very transparent got divorced you know three years before the Great Recession in 09, got remarried in 08, and then we hit 09. I'm like, are we going to lose everything? And it wasn't for my dad, which, you know, he was there to, to pull me through it. I wouldn't have. So I have great respect for what he did. Um, and, you know, that was probably the scariest part when I brought him out. It's like, wait a minute, I'm the backstop now? <laughs> like, this got to be someone stronger than this, right? So, the, again, the empathy of I know what it's like to sweat a payroll or to – you know, take seven figures of debt to buy someone out or, you know, whatever those things sure. are. It's, it's a, it's a scary daunting task. I was just going to ask real quick about your dad. I mean, how different were your styles? Cause you, you, you talk about how he was sort of that backbone and he was there, but I'm sure 100%. that the way you guys dealt with business or deal with business would be different. Yeah. And, and just in your mind, picture that typical boomer that is uh, type a and decisive and that, I mean, he was, <laughs> he, he wanted to micromanage and, and he did. I mean, the thing I'll tell you is my dad wanted the best for everybody mm -hmm. and he didn't always know how to show it but people that knew him knew that even if they were if he was on them and riding them and maybe you know talking a little bit louder than he should to them it was because he wanted the best for them and I, and I can say that even with, with me and you know, after about five six years I was like dad I think I've got this but every day like what are you working on what do you need help with what are you working on? what's going on with you? and just that pelting with questions so a, a funny side note is when I bought him out I actually it went too far the other way I went so hands-off and I realized I did an assessment on my strengths and weaknesses. And I found out that there's probably a bunch of my staff that actually wants some constructive feedback. So I had to learn how to do that. So it was kind of weird. It went from one extreme where my dad was overseeing every single aspect of the business, which quite honestly actually would limit our growth abilities because he can only handle so much at one time. Yeah, right. I bought him out. I went the other way. And it took about 18 months in. Luckily, it didn't drop too far. But there was a... You know, touchy time where I was like, I'm not doing this too well. And people needed some constructive feedback. So I'm still learning how to do that. But trying to spend time one-on-one, -on -one, you know, 30 minutes a month just sitting down, finding what I can do better. What are they seeing and hearing that I don't see in here? And then trying to use that as an opportunity to say, well, here's things I can see. Like, here's your goals for the year. We're in the end of July. You're falling short. What do we need to do to try to rectify this? And so I'm hoping that I'm somewhere in a balance between totally hands-off and and that yeah. micromanager. And I think that's what helped us go from one office to soon to be nine and from nine employees to, you know, close to 40. And, um, and yeah, but st still a challenge, still learning. That, that's the great thing about owning a business, right? If we had it all figured out, then we'd, we'd be at the beach retired already. <laughs> that's we right. Would. What fun would that be? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to get to the growth in a moment, so hold that thought. But before we do that, you know, something that's been at the forefront, obviously, is mental health, burnout. You said number one on the list for selling a business. I know for you, something that you found out extremely important is that you've got to get away yes. from the work. But yes. I, and the reason I bring that up is because I think that's important for other business owners to hear, people in other lines of work, of how you've recognized that and how that's worked for you. COVID was not a healthy time period for me. 
um, I, I we, we were, my wife and I weren't traveling, and so I default to work. That's just Saturday, Sundays. Uh, you know, probably eating too much, drinking too much, doing all, just too much idle time, and it, it was it was it was just it was a tough run. So we are very intentional about scheduling things way on advance and actually paying for them. Because one one trick a, a friend of mine told me once is like I found if I didn't book it that I just delay and delay. So my wife loves doing research and she loves booking trips. And so we're normally six to nine months of, of the flights already paid for. There's a deposit down on the Airbnb or a hotel or something. And we try to get away every six weeks. It doesn't have to be a long trip, right? It can be three days in the mountains, three days at the beach. The great thing about being in Charlotte, especially for us, is you can hop in the car tomorrow morning. You can be having lunch in Charleston, Hilton Head, Savannah, um, Asheville. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you can go, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and it's easy. And with the International Airport, you can actually jump on a plane and be about anywhere for lunch in the whole country besides maybe, you know, California. So we're very intentional about it. And then for me, it allows me to, to get away and recharge my battery and, and focus on my health. And, and most importantly, since I shared earlier that I went through a divorce, my relationship with my wife, like dating my wife was, is a very important part. And when I do that, she supports what I do for work. So when I get back, if I have to, you know, work hard for whatever amount of time period, she understands that that's, that's what we have to get done. I'm going to have to get a few pages from the book of Jay. Yes. So I can <laughs> put these things into, into practice. That's right. Making memories is something we embraced um, probably eight, nine years ago. And the goal was to have our passport stamped every year for the rest of our lives. We missed out last year because of COVID, but we're going to call that a gap year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, that, that's cool. And then a lot of the domestic things, there's so many things. And the neat thing about that, and we'll get back on business, is every time we go somewhere when we're either flying back or driving back, we talk about is that a one and done or do we put that on the repeat? Because we try to get away every couple of years and also just have a couple of, you know, <clears throat> two, three hours where we're doing like a vision and we're writing down places we haven't been internationally, domestically, where we want to go by ourselves, where we want to bring our whole family. Um, we do like a vision board, almost like I did with about my dad. I had a 10-year vision of 10 offices in 10 years and $10 million in, in equity. And, and that, was the, that was my vision. And then I had to map out how do I get there. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's very cool to hear. And I like, I like thinking along those lines and you put it out there, it happens, you know? Um, so one of the things I talked with you about early on when we first met, you were like, you know, when businesses, business owners go to think about selling, they should have been thinking about it five years before they were actually ready to sell. And there's some things that they have to put in place so that it actually works out for them. What are a couple of those things? The, the, the key is when you think about when you're buying a, um, if you invest in the stock market, you're looking at PE ratios, right, P- price to earnings. And a, comp- a public company's goal is to maximize shareholder wealth. As individual entrepreneurs or partnerships or whatnot, our goal come December 1st of every year is talk to our CPA about how we could cut our profits in half, right? right? <laughs> I mean, that's just goal number one. How do we? I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to pay with so and that's that's okay in practice. And there's certain things, you know, quote unquote addbacks that you can easily identify. But most lenders and most buyers like a clean cash flow. And and the analogy I always tell business owners is and, and let's use round numbers. If you run a hundred thousand dollars of benefits through the business, right? We're talking about gas and cars and meals and travel and entertainment and cell phones and all those things, you're gonna save thirty Two thousand, thirty-three thousand dollars in your in your tax bill, right? Federal and state, roughly, yep. roughly. Just work with me for a second. Mm-hmm. Most businesses sell for a multiple of cash flow, so that clean hundred thousand dollars, in the worst case scenario, may be worth three hundred thousand. 
in the best case scenario, I mean, there's small businesses that are getting 10 and 12 and 14 times in the right industry. Mm-hmm. 10, I mean, they're talking about a 10x of just the 100,000. It's If it's a 10x on that, it's think about the taxes of 30,000 in the, the multiple that is of that. So do you want to save $30,000 in taxes or do you want to get an extra million you know, bucks? Million bucks. That, and that, that's on the high side. But you know, let's right. say it's a half million bucks on, on, yeah. on average. I mean, it's just do that for a couple, and you know, that'd be five years. And then you're going to pay a third of that back. So, yeah. <laughs> it's good. good I'd, still, I'd still probably side with the 10X. I yeah, think I'd go that route. Yeah, five to 10. If there's my two options, and the, ab- the, the average are more like probably, you know, four to six, but just, sure. you know, for those examples. So, to, to me, it, if, if you can do that at least for, for a, ideally two years plus the interim, uh, every once in a while you can get a one year variant from, from a lender or a private equity group to do a 12 month trailing kind of analysis. But ideally, you, you have at least one solid tax return that's clean and then um, the, the interim. And then, you know, getting organized, right, manuals for the employees, job descriptions for each each position. Um, if you're into in any sort of inventory or anything that's got manufacturing, clean up the inventory, clean up the equipment. Uh, think about when you talk to real estate agents about staging a house. When a buyer looks at a business, they're, they're basically trying to ask, answer three questions. Can I see myself going to work there, Right. What am I bringing to the table? Can I improve it, right? Top line, bottom line, combination of both, ideally. And does it make financial sense? So the first two are all about curb appeal. You walk into it and, yes, I can see myself going to work. It's neat, it's clean, it's organized, right? The, the owner's got an employee manual. They've got all their benefits. They've got job descriptions all typed out. They've got an organizational chart. Everyone knows their jobs and responsibilities. They've got their core values, purpose, mission, vision statement, all. Doc, I mean, those are, seem like little things. But that next level, by when you're selling a business, you have to remember, you've got to leave something for the next level the next buyer so they can take it if you maximize everything i tell buyers all the time the first thing you normally do is that you find out what's wrong well i don't like this i'm like good if it was perfect don't buy it because what do you what do you bring to the table you're just going to screw it up yeah right. don't buy the perfect business but for the seller you want to try to get as many things organized as possible so the buyer doesn't feel like they're walking into a turmoil and it goes okay this is going to take me 12 months just to get organized here right so those simple things and most people if you get your financials clean Right, reconcile your books every every month, or have a, a ideally a bookkeeper or accountant do those for you. Most buyers say, "Well, if they're running a tight ship on the financials, I don't have to dig as deep into legal and HR and marketing and all the other things that sure. they make because they're they're tight on the financials." So I always recommend really start there and focus on that. What's the market like right now, and, and how long do you think we'll stay in this current segment? I know you mentioned capital gains could change. There's other environmental factors that could come into play. What are we seeing now, and what do you foresee in maybe the next six to twelve months? It, it's it's definitely a sellers market, and that will continue through the end of the year. Um, I've got a lot of, of, of clients right now that if if we don't sell it by the end of the year, they want to pause and just see if something happens with capital gains tax. If capital gains and right now, if they don't get it done pretty quickly, it's highly unlikely. This is good news. And again, I'm not a politician, and and, and but I you know had I have a lot of conversation with a lot of people. It does seem like. If they don't get it done pretty quickly, it's going to be hard to get through during an election. We have midterms next year, right? And, and you don't want to stifle a, a nice recovery by starting to tax the living daylights out of everyone that, that creates jobs, right? So the three sectors, think about equities, uh, commercial real estate, and the business sales. Like, Well, those three sectors create tons of jobs. And that's one thing that people don't like to talk about. It's like, you know, again, we're not getting on too much on politics, but Unemployment through September was not good. There's no one that owns a business want to say that was a good thing for people. Giving people a hand up when they need help, yes. Paying them to stay home and do nothing, there's nothing beneficial about that. So if they're going to also, on top of that, 
try to tax the living debt. So we're taking after-tax dollars to start our business. We're paying our highest tax bracket while we operate it. And then you want to take 39.6% plus state plus Obamacare. I mean, you're talking about North Carolina. You, 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 I'm going to hit 50%. And that's part of our retirement plan. And it just doesn't make sense. So if they don't get done pretty quickly, it won't, shouldn't get passed. And I think this market will continue to be red hot for, I mean, literally, it, with the boomers, again, turn it, 10,000 a day, turn 70, it could continue for a decade. If capital gains goes up at the end of the year or for 2022, we'll probably drop, my guess, just, you know, throwing a dart against the wall at 25% next year. Those two scenarios, that's interesting because you go from uh, de-incentivizing people to work to de-incentivizing the owner to hire people. So I don't, yeah. I don't know where you, where you win on that <laughs> right, with, right. with those two things. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we'll do one self-serving question. You guys have really amped up your marketing lately. Yes. You picked up a spot. We've obviously been working with you guys yes, and, and you telling great some great job. stories. Um, what has been the, the impact in the short time that you've seen? I mean, you've done radio and video for a long time, actually, with yes. Viking. You really have. Yeah. Um, but lately, we've been able to tell the stories of some of those sales that you guys have done. What have you guys seen in, in doing that? The, the, the empathy part, right? We talked about it earlier. People get to relate to someone that was struggling and, and they needed help. They were ready to get out. And then it's this huge exhale when they, when they sell that business. And you guys are able to capture that on video, right? Some, some really neat moments with people that are also being fully transparent and vulnerable to say, man, I was working seven days a week. I never took a vacation. I never saw my kids play baseball, softball, sport, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, I took my first spring. I mean, those 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 moments when you capture them like that are just so impactful. The, the radio does does work also. Um, we need to do more of the client testimony on, on that because people like to hear those stories because they can relate to them and they can try to see. And the, the you know the biggest thing going back, it doesn't have to be Viking when you when you look to sell your business. But if you believe in professional representation, right? We talk about CPA doing your tax return, attorney doing your legal matters, a financial advisor doing your retirement account, a real estate agent doing your house. You go on and on, doctor when you're sick. You need to take your biggest asset and make sure there's a professional handling it, right? Someone that's there, not only because you've never done it, it's your first trip to Disney or whatever analogy you want to use, but just to make sure they're checking your emotions. Because besides getting married, having kids, death of a loved one, Selling your business is a top five emotional thing you will ever do. And if, if those other three or four things haven't happened in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, it's the most emotional thing you're currently working with. And so some very rational people <laughs> I've seen lose their mind yeah. two weeks before closing on something that really isn't that big of a deal, but it's the, it's the 17th thing or the 37th thing or the 117th thing. It's like this is – and you hear the nothing. The, the straw that broke the camel's back. There's literally, I've seen, I've seen some people push away at the closing table because they're like, not one more darn thing am I going to give on, right? And so what you have with a professional is you have someone that's talking to you about what may happen way ahead of it. And I always tell people, you got to hear it seven times before you actually remember it because mm -hmm. it's the first time you're doing it. So we're going to tell you seven times before it happens. So when it happens, it's like, okay, yeah, that, I'm a little emotional about it, but I was prepared for it. Right. So. So you guys play counselor as well. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like yeah. losing the house over uh, a chair so right. at, yeah, the, right. at the yes. 11th hour, yeah. right? Because they, they're just at it's my which chair. end. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I don't, don't want to give it up. Yep, that's right. couple rapid fire before we let you go. Uh, first one is Better outside. Be uh, well, it depends on you. <laughs> I, we just asked the questions. Outside of work, what keeps you moving and motivated? Uh, my wife, my family. Um, got great friends in, in the neighborhood that, that we live in, Providence Country Club. Um, 
you know, I'm a believer. So I spend time in, in, a, in a men's small group. Uh, they're great people that, you know, I know they're, they're praying for my shortcomings that, that I need to work on. During the pandemic, what's one key thing you learned about yourself? I'm not built to work at home. I need to be in an office. I just, I function. It's just like, almost like a light switch. At home, I found myself watching Sports Center or just finding other things to do besides work, and which may have been good at some point, <laughs> but it wasn't good for my wife. She's a stay-at-home mom, and she's like, you know, if I'm on a call or, or on a Zoom or something, and she's trying to vacuum or clean or do laundry, and it's like, you need to go back to work. I'm like, you're right. I do need to go back to work. Yeah. What's on your uh, playlist, music-wise? I listen to a lot of uh, Country Essentials on Apple Music, even though I've got a Droid phone. Uh, and then in, in the mornings, I try to get inspired by the, you know, the, the, the you know, kind of Christian, contemporary Christian, mm-hmm. you know, the elevation worship, mercy me type type things. Yeah. And then, but I, I will say, I, I do a little bit of workout, and I've got a little bad side that you may hear a little five finger death punch and some, <laughs> you know, some old school hairband rock that it's always, I've got pumping in the. That's in always my, necessary for workouts. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right, leave us with a fun fact that most people wouldn't know about you. Maybe a hobby, something that you enjoy. So, I like that. Uh, never had a cup of coffee, never had a cigarette, never played a round of golf. I've got a lucky half dollar in my pocket that's been in my pocket since 1993. So, what is that, 18? Wow. 28, 28 years. What started that? Uh, I, I found it and it was the year I was born. I put it in my pocket. I was driving back to school. I got pulled out of a police officer and he let me go. I'm like, this has got to be a lucky half dollar. <laughs> 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 so it's been in my pocket. I'm going to show you guys just yeah, to yes. take proof. Everywhere, if you ever see me, you say, where's your half dollar? Oh, there it awesome. is. And see how it's smooth on the edges? <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even want to touch it. <laughs> it's lucky. That's all it's you. Lucky, though. <laughs> I didn't know if you were going to allow me to do it. <laughs> I didn't want to tarnish it at all. Yeah, that's right. Well, Jay, thank you so much. This thank is fun. Guys. Every time we, we get together, great. conversation, great info. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, guys. And we want to remind you that you can find more episodes of The Hive Life by heading to the podcast page of our website at spiracalbuzz.com. It's under the resources tab and follow us on social media. Our handle there is at Spiracle Media. For Jay Offerdahl and Tim Bear, I'm Jared Latch. Thanks for listening and so long for now. You've been listening to The Hive Life, brought to you by Spiracle Media. Always remember, you can visit SpiracleBuzz.com or follow us at Spiracle Media on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'll see you next time on The Hive Life.